Ladies and gentlemen, travel family, and adventurers near and far, welcome to Point Noir, home of the Point Noir podcast, where we equip men of color to shift their paradigms through travel. My name is Jerry the Third, aka Kimono Jack. I will be hosting this experience for you, and this right here is the 79th session of the Point Noir podcast. What's going on, y'all? Hope this session finds you in high spirits and good health. Hope everything's been going awesomely in your world. We have another amazing guest to share with you today. But before we do that, I wanted to get some of your feedback. If you're not following us on the socials at Point Noir Show or on Twitter, make sure you do that. But I want to know, how can we best support you during this time? Would you like to do a happy hour? Would you like to do some impromptu quick interviews on Instagram or a Zoom call? We're thinking of ideas all the time, but having your feedback is super essential. So hit us up on the socials or send me an email directly, kimonojack at pointnoirshow.com. That's actually the email address, kimonojack, K-I-M-O-N-O-J-A-C-K at pointnoirshow.com. And you know what? If you feel like you got a couple spare minutes on your hand, it would be fantastic if you left us a review on the iTunes store. That would really help us out in terms of promoting and supporting the show and also sharing with others the dope value that you get. And we'll read it live on the air. I'll be happy to shout you out with your review. So make sure you're still sharing the word and leaving reviews for us. We'd really appreciate it. But without further ado, let's introduce today's special guest. Joining us today as our special guest at The Point is Tyler Lau, a.k.a. The Prodigy. Make sure you check him out for some hilarious meme content at Hiking Prodigy on Instagram. But yo, this guy is no joke. He's the real deal. He's the first person of color to through hike three major U.S. trails in less than a year. They call it the Triple Crown, almost 8,000 miles in under a year. But despite all of his success, he is maybe one of the most chill people I've ever had on the show. And I appreciated that energy. He's calm, he's collected, he's inspired by nature and believes in diversity in the outdoors. Even if he has to put his face on it, he's willing to do it. I really appreciated my time sharing with Tyler and learning about more of what outdoors has meant to him in his life and his history and how he's able to share his passion and take up space for people of color. Tyler, seriously, thank you from the beginning for spending the time with me. And for everybody else, you'll get an awesome chance to meet him in just a few moments. But first, let's not forget our three-step routine. Step number one, pour yourself a refreshing beverage of choice. Step number two, find the comfiest corner on the coziest couch that you can. Step three, take a deep breath, exhale, sit back, relax, and get ready to enjoy another fantastic session from us here at The Point. See you on the flip side. Yo, what's going on, Tyler? Thank you so much for joining me today at The Point. How you feeling, bro? Feeling good. I'm alive. I'm healthy. I'm staying as sane as I can during the current times. Absolutely, man. A lot to be grateful for. So definitely can't forget to count those blessings every single day amidst all of what's going on right now. You're not going stir crazy already, are you? Uh, there's definitely moments every day trying to cope with everything going on. I actually, funnily enough, put in my two weeks notice two weeks before the stay-at-home order went into place. So yeah, now I have lots of free time that I was not expecting. Overall though, I mean, again, I I really do have to be counting my blessings and being very thankful for having a place to stay and having the outdoors easily accessible. There's a trail 
pretty close outside my house so I can get out there and at least get in the sunshine or you know at least walk on something that's not pavement like a lot of people uh, I know in bigger cities unfortunately don't have a lot of access to the outdoors so I, I'm not complaining at all. For sure, bro. And again, I'm grateful you're joining me today on the show. And I know that you are heavily involved in outdoors. So if you wouldn't mind, introduce yourself, give the people a little bit of backstory on how you got into adventuring, and we'll go from there. All right. Wow. Loaded question. Let's do it. Yeah, my name's Tyler. Uh, I have a trail name, and that's Prodigy, but uh, we can get into that a little later. Okay. I really discovered the outdoors as a kid really you know i'd play in the backyard i'd play in the front yard i'd go to the park by myself i was always fascinated by animals and wildlife and plants and uh, my favorite shows growing up were anything on animal planet or discovery channel if i had right. access to it i didn't have cable growing up until like one year where i had it and i just binged before i knew what binging was you know i'd play in the creeks i'd play around trees i'd watch insects all day one of my favorite things to do is kind of just watch a spider build its web if I'm able to in the morning. It's just, it fascinates me that something like that can create something so beautiful and yet it has a purpose as well. Like it, there's something with nature, like the symmetry around everything. Yeah, so when I got to college, I studied environmental systems and put my time into finding like courses or activities and clubs to join where I could really learn hands-on. I found out I'm not great in a classroom setting. When I'm sitting down for long periods of time, not my thing. But you put me in a lab outdoors uh, where I can like use my hands, that's the best way to learn for me personally. And But I also think for a lot of people, especially youth, unfortunately, we, we trap people in a classroom in an indoor setting a lot of times. And I don't think it's the healthiest thing in the world. Again, this is my opinion. But I do believe there's science that shows that access and ability to get outside is super healthy for you. For sure. I've definitely benefited from spending time out in the living classroom of being in the outdoors, which is one of the reasons I love that we can bring this element to this platform that talks about adventure and transformation. And there's so many dope men of color who are repping in the outdoors, such as yourself. So I always get excited because it takes me back to my childhood of growing up and hiking the AT and canoeing and rock climbing. So I'd love to know when you were growing up and noticing you had a fascination for nature and watching Animal Planet and things like that, did you get an opportunity to travel a lot as a child throughout the States or even internationally? Yeah, I was really lucky and privileged. And I, I do say that word privilege, and I know that's a trigger word for people, but I got to travel a lot because I have a lot of family in Hong Kong. So mm -hmm. I'm a dual citizen. So I'd go there just about every summer. Oh, wow. I didn't know that. Yeah. So I grew up in this. I was born in the States. So I'm first generation Asian American. Mm -hmm. And like half of my family is over in Hong Kong. So I'd be there in the summers. And then I'd be back in the States for the school year. But when I was in Hong Kong, that's also a good hub to travel Asia and to other places. So I went to a lot of countries growing up. And it's funny now because I look back on it and I didn't appreciate it as a kid. As many kids who travel aren't as focused on that part. I was more focused on like, where's the toy store? Where's where's somewhere I can get batteries for my Game Boy? You know, <laughs> which is like, normal. That's that sounds healthy for a child. 
yeah it, it's funny now too because kids are like what's a game boy <laughs> i'm like oh right well, it was this thing that's kind of like your phone but bigger with the size of a brick and you couldn't put it in your pocket <laughs> and you needed external batteries for it so i did travel a lot i do appreciate what my parents uh, gave me in that sense was they saw that they didn't get to travel a lot as they mm-hmm. were children so they wanted that opportunity for myself and obviously i appreciate it more as i've grown older but you know, we all talk about having a time machine, going back and saying something different or like, you know, invest in Google or something like that. For me, it's like, go back and be like, hey, dude, take your eyes off the screen and just look, appreciate. But that's part of life, right? We all learn. Now, how do you think about that when you look at the current generation and how involved we are with technology? Do you have moments where you feel like people are overindulging, even though technology gives us the ability to connect the way we are right now? How do you feel about that? It's such an interesting dynamic where we are the most connected ever in human history, but at the same time, we're so disconnected in a sense. Mm -hmm. It's funny because you see what's going on right now at this current situation with the, the global health pandemic, where social media is actually doing what a lot of us thought it was going to do. It's putting people in touch. You can reach out to people. You can connect with people. Whereas right before this, I felt like we were so, I wouldn't say manipulated, but kind of like trained to just kind of find the next thing when you're on these apps and when you're on social media and on the internet where you want to just find the next thing that gets you that high almost. And now it's like, yeah, I want to connect with this person as opposed to just swiping. It's like, I want to know your story. I want to know how I can help. I want to know how we can connect through a very difficult time in human history. Absolutely. And I think that's kind of points to intention when it comes to tools, which technology is a tool. And I think the ability has been there. I've been collecting stories virtually, remotely, just like we are right now for almost two years right now, collecting these fascinating stories like yours. But I always had the intention behind it. So I think what it's revealing is the opportunity to have a choice with how we engage in these things. Because right now, social media is just about all we have, technology and Zoom calls and FaceTiming, that's it. Which is, again, so interesting because 10 years ago, you know, Skype was just coming out. And, you know, before that, you know, people had pagers. It's amazing how fast it's grown and how fast it's changed. I just hope this is a good wake-up call for all of us that we need to utilize it and make a choice, like you said, to utilize it for good. For sure, and time will tell, but this is definitely a moment in history. But flipping back to you growing up, do you remember noticing anything interesting or different as you traveled? And what sort of places and areas did you travel to with your family? Or is it just between the States and Hong Kong? Which is pretty dope. I've never been to Hong Kong. Oh, yeah, highly recommend it once this whole thing gets figured out. But right, uh, yeah, super multicultural and diverse and amazing city. But I traveled a lot in, throughout Asia as a kid and Mm -hmm. went to places where at that time would be considered third world countries and conditions. And it took a few trips, but it finally kind of opened my eyes to, again, I I say that word privileged, how privileged I was to be able to grow up in the States and Mm -hmm. to have all these basic necessities and amenities that we tend to overlook when you're in a situation like I, I have family in China, which I didn't know I had. And I went there and it was my uh, 
mother's father's side of the family. And I, I had no idea I had cousins there in this tiny village. And I ended up staying there over a month without running water, without electricity. I was eating the same like reheated porridge every morning. And I, I loved it. The porridge, that is. I, I didn't like you know, electricity <laughs> and no running water and how all the mosquitoes loved to eat me alive. But it gave me a big appreciation for, again, just the simple things. Mm-hmm. Like going back to me saying I wanted batteries for my Game Boy. I was, you know, I was more focused on that at the initial part of the trip. And then finally, there was a moment. I've actually only told a few people this. This is the first time I'll say this on a podcast, per se. But... My mother and I took all my cousins to the beach, which was less than a mile away. It wasn't like your pristine, clear water beach or anything, but it was a beach. And I sat down and was just watching them play and frolic and have fun. And I I just looked at my mom like, why are they having so much fun? Like, it's just the beach. This is from someone that grew up on the West Coast having access to the beach. And she said, they've never been here. They didn't even know this existed. Wow. Yeah. And that by far one of the moments in my life where I'm always going to look back to and where kind of that switch went off in my head, like, whoa, Mm -hmm. almost like a woke switch. Like, geez, I have been spoiled my whole life. It took that moment to really wake me up. And I haven't been the same since, to be honest, for the better, though. Yeah. Moments like that, where all the wants and needs that you have growing up in a privileged society like just go away wow and i appreciate you for phrasing that so beautifully bro about how old were you during this moment i'll say of kind of awakening yeah um i have to think back a little bit i always forget my age my birthday was just recently and i kind of forgot how old i was (laughs) um so i was probably like 14 at the time probably around there middle school age. Got you. So you're still fairly young, kind of in those formidable years of development and finding your way through the world. I think that's such a powerful moment. And we talk a lot about transformations and shifts that men of color specifically go through, but that's that's a very real experience. I mean, there are a lot of communities in the States where they might not even have access to the beach for one reason or several. That's a, that's a profound moment, dude. Yeah. And again, it made me think like, Everything that I had growing up pretty close to the coast was very different than, like you said, people in landlocked states or in inner cities or areas where there wasn't access to water or trails or anything. So it's from then on, like I could see this change in perspective in my own life and how appreciative I was for every little thing. Yeah, that's really dope, man. And I love that sense of calm and awareness that you speak from when you talk about this moment. I'd love to know if your parents ever had discussions with you about travel since you said they realized the importance of it to encourage you to do it. Did you ever have any discussions with them or did they specify why they wanted you to take these trips or spend the time, you know, away from the TV or the Game Boy? Uh, They would always want me to spend time away from the screen. (laughs) They still do. But yeah, we we would talk about it a little bit, but I was again, I wasn't uh I was so young, I didn't appreciate what they were saying, and it's only as I again have matured that I look back on it and super thankful for what they were trying to show me and teach me 
through all these trips I was able to do. And, and a lot of times it was with family members. I'd go with aunts and uncles who were going on trips. So at least I was with someone that I knew. Right. Most of the time growing up, my parents were both working full time. So it was just that one trip. I remember my mother was there. That's pretty dope. So fast forward just a few years later, I find it fascinating that you decided to have some sort of formal education regarding the outdoors. I think you mentioned it was ecosystem structures. Is that what you said you studied? Uh, yeah, it's, it was called environmental systems. Okay. And I focused on ecology, evolution and behavior, just looking at how nature works in systems. Going back to what I said earlier, I really enjoyed it, but I found it was the outside time that I got the outdoor classroom, as you put it, or the living classroom, as opposed to being indoors, listening to lectures. Um, nothing against my professors. They're great people. But I found when I was outside working with my hands, I was enjoying it a lot more and learning so much more. Yeah. And I mean, listen, I don't blame you at all. I totally agree with that. What encouraged you to take that path with college? And did you meet any resistance? Because sometimes I think when we think of being a professional in the outdoors, we just assume it comes naturally. We don't assume that there has been formal training or investment in education. Like I'm sure you were reading a lot of books and getting a lot of very good knowledge. What pushed you to major and focus in that area of study? And did like your parents care? Were they excited for you? Would they prefer you do something else? Because it doesn't sound like the most profitable career choice. Yeah, let me uh, start off where you just ended. It's not. <laughs> and <laughs> It hasn't been in the sense of dollars in the bank, but as far as experiences and stories, you put me against somebody that's a lawyer. I'm sure they have some fun stories, but they probably can't build a campfire as fast as I can. Love it. I love it. Not not to brag, not to brag. That's it's all in fun. But what's, what's your uh, record right now, though? Since since we're on the topic, what's your record time for building a campfire? Oh, record! Gosh. I'll have to time myself. Maybe that would be a fun Instagram <laughs> challenge after this. But it's not something looked upon as a career choice, especially coming from an Asian uh, background, mm. Asian American background. There, there's a lot of stereotypical cultural normalities, I guess, where you're expected to do well in school, you're expected to go to college, and you are kind of expected to be a doctor or a yeah. lawyer, unfortunately. A lot of that is this model minority mm -hmm. culture as well that could be its own podcast series and i don't want to take up too much time on this podcast about it but you know we're always being compared as a culture and we have to uphold this certain standard against what the normal was in this country for 200 years could you break that down just a little bit because we talk about these things, man. This yeah. is for all of us to learn, and I'd love to hear your perspective on it. Okay, yeah. As far as Asian Americans in the history in this country, and I'm talking about the United States, uh, there was a lot of backlash and a lot of inherent racism and xenophobia, and which, which is very apparent still in the world. But yeah. as Asian Americans continue to grow in population over here, um, there's this, yeah, I guess I'd call it, it's cultural in the sense of you don't want to start any trouble you just want to do your work do well make everybody happy and not cause any trouble for you or your family so this mm -hmm. model minority I'm, I'm using air quotes here is mm -hmm. just doing your job you go home you're not trying to cause a scene you want to maintain this high standard so that when let's say the powers at be i guess is how i would put it look at yeah. you 
you're not the first to go if something happens. It's like, oh, they're doing fine. They're helping right. with the economy, whatever it is. Let's go look at another group to bug or to, I hate to say attack, but it's something I didn't really understand, again, very young, given all the bullying and racism I experienced. But mm-hmm. as I grew older and went through this stuff and started learning more about it and realizing, oh, this is what my parents went through when they came here. This is what they fought to keep me away from. And I'm super thankful for, again, upbringing that I've had. But to see that it's still going on, to see that we're supposed to be held to a higher standard, in a, but not like a normal standard. Like there's no baseline for everybody. It's just, oh, you're Asian American. You're good at math. Do my accounting. Right. Or, oh, you must be a doctor. You must know medical things. Take care of me. But like, we're never going to hang out. It, it, it's super frustrating, uh, especially as we see what's going on right now and the rise in hate crimes and uh, incidents given the, the COVID-19 crisis uh, against Asian Americans. But for me, it was just something uh, as a kid, I didn't really notice. I just thought I got bullied because I looked different, which was true. Um, I do look different than most of the people I grew up around. But as I continued learning more about it, I was like, oh, there's something that's very cultural and inherent in the society. It's not just because I look different. Like this is something that's been happening for 200 years. Yeah, that's a that's a really real thing that I relate to from a different perspective. I'd love to know if travel or even being in the outdoors helped give you some additional information or helped you develop your identity for how you do interact with people when you're around them. Yeah, travel and uh, adventuring and doing solo trips is really important because you do meet different people and you have to learn how to connect with various groups. Uh, you don't have to if you're an introvert, which sometimes, a lot of the times I am, but uh, it's also a great way to learn, to learn from different cultures and societies and environments. Uh, I've learned to be a lot more open-minded going back to my trip to China as a kid. like I've just learned that you can't judge someone just by the way yeah. they look. You can't know their full story until you hear it from them or see it from them. You know, there's that cliche of you'll never know what it's like until you're in my shoes. So I do my best, put myself in a situation where I can see it from someone else's perspective because I know I'm not always right. And if I was always right, then I wouldn't be living. Like if you aren't learning, you're not living. You couldn't have said that any better. I definitely agree. Continual learning, being a self-learner, and again, you being out in this living laboratory of nature, I think it's a, it's a huge opportunity that we could be taking more advantage of. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I do my best to advocate for it, especially for youth. I feel like the screen time that we all are a part of now, where it's just you're looking at your phones, you're looking at your computers, you're looking at your TV, as opposed to I look back on my childhood where my grandma would lock the door <laughs> and say, come back when it's dark. I would just play outside. <laughs> House is closed. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. And, you know, you find ways to entertain yourself. You play with toys. You go watch ants build an ant mound. And it's funny now because it seems like we've made the world so dangerous in our own minds where mm. kids aren't allowed to do that. You know, you're not allowed to be, quote, free range. And there's a lot more helicopter parenting or tiger mom parenting in my case, which isn't a bad thing. I, I don't have children. I understand that that's a very big responsibility, but I also feel like we've 
put so many restraints that creativity and just being a child is no longer allowed. Yeah, for sure. I feel like there's a large degree of expectation that didn't exist before. And I think that's for a myriad of factors. But every time I hear about a new TV show, whether it be young girls in pageants or even I live in Texas right now, they will hold children back a grade so they get bigger and have a better chance at making a football impression for scouts. And I used to be a D1 athlete. I'm like, bro, this is not the life because it's mostly black and brown children. It's like, this is uh, what are we doing here? Are we thinking through this? That, again, could be an entire podcast on its own of <laughs> the way we treat that. And obviously, you have a very unique perspective in the sense you were a D1 athlete. Um, but we, we can leave that one to the side for now. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, I don't know if anybody will be playing any more sports for the rest of the year. So I don't think anybody goes too mad. But carrying on through your story, I'd love to hear how your career as is it fair to say an outdoor professional? Was that something you aspired to be? Like, what was your dream when you started taking classes and going to school? What did you want to become when it came to outdoors or who did you want to help or represent? You know, to be honest, my my education was very research-based. And I, I realized after I finished my degree that uh, research is interesting, but there's also a big part of me, as I've explained earlier, is I, I, I need to be kind of free range. I need to be outdoors. I need to be smelling and touching and feeling being outside as opposed to being inside writing about it. So right. I was able to get a job in New Zealand, actually, right after what? finishing college. Yeah, my, it was literally the day I graduated. I got a phone call and was offered a job with a with an organization I had gone to New Zealand with three years prior to volunteer to, to do conservation work. Mm-hmm. It was actually like a volunteercation or whatever they used to call it, where you would pay to go and do this volunteer work. So I raised all the money myself and um, by doing as much work and overtime as I could as a college student and right. went, had a great time, learned a lot about the unique culture and environments and ecosystems in New Zealand, which is an island nation. And, you know, islands themselves, they're all unique because on them, it's usually endemic species. And I say endemic, which is like natural to that area and found nowhere else. So if you think of like Mm -hmm. Australia, marsupials and kangaroos and koalas are only found there. And with New Zealand, it was all dominated by birds before the first humans arrived. And that just fascinated me. Like there were no large mammals there. It was just birds. I loved New Zealand. I still love New Zealand. And yeah, they offered me a a job leading those projects. And I actually declined at first because I was committed to doing a camp that I'd been doing for three years. And I remember hanging up the phone and my classmate came up and he saw it a weird face. Hey, what's wrong? It's like, well, I just got this job offer, but I said no. I told him, he's like, call him back and just say you need more time. You know, like we we graduate on a Friday, and I was like, oh, I'm done with school finally. And and I called them back and said I need more time. And over the weekend, after a few more signs from other people and uh, the universe, I I accepted the job and went to New Zealand for six months. Wow. What was that experience like? I know you're saying you're fascinated by the birds and the endemic species. I appreciate the vocabulary too, because 
I don't have anybody else on the show who's ever used the word endemic. I'm over here taking notes. These are SAT <laughs> words, my guy. Thank you. I Thank hey, you. I now I'm like, what if I said that wrong and my professors are listening? <laughs> um, yeah, it was actually my first solo trip abroad. Needless to say, every day was a learning experience. I learned that I wasn't a great leader in a lot of aspects, but I also learned what I was strong at and the you know, I would focus on those strengths and then work on my weaknesses. And then also I uh, extended my stay there. I was only supposed to be there three months. I extended it on a, on a visitor visa. And I volunteered on farms through something called Woofing. It's worldwide opportunities on organic farms where you, you know, reach out to these farms and if they need help, you can go work for stay. And I fell in love with that lifestyle. I, I wish I'd grown up on a farm. <laughs> um, the, the hard work, I love, I love working hard, like, and especially with my hands and my body. But just learning where food came from was really important. I didn't think about it too much growing up, especially growing up in California where everything's easily accessible. Mm-hmm. I never really thought like, oh, so the poop from the cow actually is the fertilizer for the plant which has the flower which has a fruit and yeah just seeing all these systems work together and how happy farm animals actually are as opposed to like feedlot animals i don't know there's something about it like to know that everything you did that day is going to put food on the table eventually the next season and I'm just seeing how genuinely happy people are doing that type of work and being appreciative. Again, like I, I, I learned a lot for myself, but also like how to approach situations I would deal with later in life. Hell yeah, bro. We, if you don't mind, I'd love to unpack some of that because you dropped so many hints and I'm like, oh, I want to talk about this, but what about this? <laughs> Real quick though, before I forget, when you mentioned feeling a sense of satisfaction when you realized that your day's work went towards something, did you have, like, would you use the word of intention or purpose to describe those feelings that kind of every activity you did had meaning towards a greater goal? Absolutely. Yeah. I think all that type of work is very intentional and there is a larger purpose of, I have to grow these vegetables to put on the table, or I have to grow this type of feed for my animals to eat so that they can produce milk, or you know, we, we have to weed every day because if the weeds take over, there's nothing for the animals to eat. It's all purposeful, and each of them doesn't seem like it initially, but it's all together. It's all in this cycle, in this system together. And I've been saying system so much, I realize. <laughs> But everything is connected is pretty much what I'm getting at. Absolutely, bro. Use the word as much as you need to. One of my majors was actually around systems. So I'm with you there. But you mentioned something really interesting because when you talk about it, it sounds like a lot of pressure, actually. It sounds like, you know, these crops better grow or I better do my job today or I can't provide for the community or for myself. But at the same time, you mentioned you learned that you weren't a leader through this experience. So I'd love if you could pick that apart a little bit more and tell us what you realized and experienced out there regarding leadership. Yeah. And that was mostly when I was leading the volunteer projects, I Ah. was working with international students. So coming from the States and Canada and the UK, I realized right away how clicky it was, how no matter where I went in the world, clicks are going to form because the people you're comfortable with are the people you're going to be next to. 
it was just funny because it was almost like um, like that movie, Not Another Teen Movie, like all the stereotypical groups formed. Like you had <laughs> the jocks, you had the cool girls, you had the goth, like introverts over here. And then you had like the jokester that would try to get a laugh out of everybody. And it was really funny, but I, I realized there were certain groups I worked way better with. And the groups that I didn't work well with, I made it a point to try to learn how to better work with that type of mentality and that type of uh, personality. Because no matter where you go, someone's going to disagree with you. And how you deal with that disagreement is going to say a lot about you as a leader. So initially, I didn't take it very well when someone like questioned me when I was doing the work. I was like, hey, I've been here before. And then other people would just like muscle their way through things. I'm like, hey, we're not trying to do that. I'm trying to do it this way so that you don't hurt your back or like we don't want the plant that we're planting for this restoration project to grow sideways. We want it to grow straight up. So you have to put the, the tap root, which is the main root, straight down. And some people would just, I don't care. I'm just here to party. I came to New Zealand to party. And, and it's stuff like that. Those situations where you have to check yourself, like, hey, be the better person, take this as a learning experience, move on, address this later if it gets to a certain point. But right. yeah, I, I think there was a lot of me that was unprepared initially to lead a group like that, the first few groups. But then as they went on, I got better. So I led, I think, five different groups there. And uh, they range from like eight people to like 32 people. Larger groups sometimes are a little tougher. Smaller groups, I'm sure you as an athlete, like working in a small unit, like you really get to know people really well. For sure. The larger the group, the more personalities, the more preferences, the more opinions. It can, it can sometimes be a beautiful mess. Yeah, and that just goes back to taking that open-mindedness that I learned traveling and just putting it into my life. Like I always have to be open-minded. I can't always be closed-minded. Like You just have to be willing to understand that everybody's got their own opinion and you have to listen more than you talk initially for sure and i was already going to ask you if you had any resources or maybe even mentors in those moments that helped you progress with these groups but it sounds like you were relying on your previous experience traveling so do you have any moments that really stood out as lessons or teaching moments through your experiences oh gosh loaded questions uh let's see it's the only questions we got, bro. Yeah. <laughs> I, I can't think of anything like pinpointing right now, but I, I just feel like uh, I mentioned the the camp I was a part of before I went to New Zealand. It was uh, a camp for kids whose parents have, have cancer, or have had cancer. Oh, wow. So it's just for the kids. And we fundraise all the money so that they go for free and we take them for a week. You know, it's a little time away for the parents who are, you know, whether they're going through chemo or something just to give them a break. But it's also a time for the kids to be kids. Like I said earlier, I feel like a lot of things these days have made it so that kids can't be kids, but be able to take them to a summer camp that we put on for them and they can be kids. But we can also talk about things if they if they want to. I've learned more from those kids than I think almost any other group. <laughs> Just I believe how strong humans can be no matter the age. So I took a lot from those kids. Uh, I've never cried more in my life, actually, to be honest. But mm. yeah, just seeing the humanity in all of it is and seeing that we're, again, everything is connected. We're all connected. Like every kid made an impact on me there and kind of take that moving forward as well as like you have to listen to understand. And I was willing to listen and learn 
more from these children much younger than me than I'd ever learned in what 20 plus years of my life at that point. And I think there's a lot to be said about that, uh, especially in this day and age where we're all about shouting over each other. And a lot of times we forget that the other side is just the same person as you. They have a family, they have a job, they have concerns of paying rent. Yeah. But it's these ideals that we have that we start to ingrain ourselves in that and we forget that again, we're not always right. You have to make mistakes to learn. You have to be open to learn. And I just try to take that mindset in everything I do. And I've made mistakes even on like the last few weeks of like post reposting something without even thinking about it. And someone pointed it out to me. It's like, whoa, I'm really thankful you told me that. I never would have thought of it from that perspective because I've never put myself in that person's shoes and looked at it in this way. So I don't know if that fully answers your question. <laughs> no, bro, you answered my question and some. It, it gives me a better sense of you and maybe how you've acquired this knowledge over time. At the end of the day, you have to have a pretty well-rooted sense of yourself, a sense of your identity to fight cultural norms or stereotypes, you know, going against that model minority projection that's out here to engage with groups that are difficult to even pursue this path into the outdoors. And it sounds like you've picked this up piece by piece, one journey at a time, rather than in one fell swoop or one just prolific moment. Is that correct or close? Uh, yeah, you've put it way better than I ever could have put it. You know, I tend to ramble, but that is a very succinct, spot on way to describe my journey. And that's not to say I haven't had mentors, uh, but a lot of it is kind of learn as you go type mentality. And, you know, every wall is built one brick at a time. I think that's a real thing that I appreciate the reminder for myself. And I know people listening going to appreciate that reminder that's, hey, you don't have to make these giant leaps. Just making forward progress is going to be great enough at the end of the day. Yeah. And going back to the wall analogy is making sure that baseline is the sturdiest part because if that moves or if that's not stable the rest of it's not going to be stable yeah for sure for sure so speaking of building things step by step you have to tell me now the big reveal bro how did you get to such a badass trail name like prodigy where did that come from where is that rooted in oh gosh yeah let's let's keep the loaded question theme going so i mentioned i'm a dual citizen mm -hmm. so when i was in hong kong i was training with the national table tennis team and would compete for the youth team and hold 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 up hold up we're not just going to casually say you trained with the national hong kong table tennis team what where was that where how do you have time with that with the game boy what, what was going on there i mean it's all about multitasking right <laughs> now i'm starting to hear the the prodigy in yeah. this okay cool hey keep keep repping your shit bro yeah no worries and uh before we keep going, I'm totally fucking with you. So <laughs> <laughs> um, I was not a part of the National Table Tennis team, but I told a few people I was just to mess with them. <laughs> and then I would tell them the truth. I would feel bad because some people were, were so <laughs> like just that response that you gave. I'd see that in their eyes and like, I'm about to wreck their dreams. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, just like I wrecked mine. But no, I, uh, I'm actually... a average table tennis player uh surprisingly enough no i uh decided to hike the pacific crest trail which goes from mexico to canada or canada to mexico depending on which way you go in 2016 and this has been a dream of mine for seven years so as someone that does seasonal work usually i'm working 
anywhere from like March to November. And the best hiking season is April to October. So I was never able to take time off. And in 2016, I finally decided instead of working, and I don't think we talked about this earlier, my background in conservation and is also in doing trail work and wildland fire and restoration work. So I worked in the outdoors. Oh, wow. So it's really hard to take time off when the best season to work is the same season as hiking season. So that year, I finally just made the commitment that I'm going to hike because it feels right. And I decided to do it and got a permit and got out there not really knowing what I was doing. I thought I had a good sense as someone that backpacked a lot, but never to the sense of walking 2,600 miles. I did not start off uh, very well. Definitely got a really big blister on my foot first day, and it grew for the next two days and learned real quick that my footwear wasn't right, my pack was too heavy, uh, but I was still stubborn and was like, no, I brought this stuff, I'm going to use it. It wasn't until like the fifth day I was on trail, I met this couple. Their trail names were Graduate and T-Rex, and they were hiking 30 miles a day right out of the gate which is not normal. That's a lot, y'all. Yeah. The most I've done in a day is maybe 22, and that's like an all-day event. Yeah, you're you're hiking all day pretty much, other than when you're sleeping. So that was near mile 69, and the next day we were all leaving RV park going through this tough uphill section where there's no water except for a trail cache where a family puts out water for hikers. So, you know, shout out to them. But I ended up just leapfrogging with them all day. Like they'd take a break, I'd pass, I'd take a break, they'd pass. And then we get to the first town. And I say that with air quotes because it's not really a town. There's a golf course and there's a gas station and a post office. (laughs) And instead of camping at this area where you're allowed to camp, it was raining, it was miserable. They said they were going to keep going. So I asked them if I could follow them. And then I was able to keep up with them for the next 800 miles. and But at mile 340, I'm, I'm, I'm throwing very specific numbers out here. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so for people that have hiked the PCT, they'll know what I'm talking about. Yeah. But after some failed trail names that uh, I did, didn't have anything to do with me, um, like cause when you choose a trail name, if you're really going to choose one, it has to fit. Yeah. So a lot of times you get one from someone else, but sometimes you choose your own. I didn't feel right choosing my own, especially because it was my first hike, first long hike, I should say, long distance hike. And they turned around and said, we're going to call you the prodigy because no one should be able to keep up with us without training the way they did. Uh, They trained for six months straight to be able to average 30 miles a day. And I didn't, I'll put it that way. (laughs) um, (laughs) I mean, I I, I was fit. I should say that. Like, I, I, I also rock climb and run so i was doing stuff like that but i wasn't hiking training as they were they had a very specific training plan where they hiked with weight every day and i didn't do that there's also this saying that the trail gets you in shape which to a certain degree is true but you don't want to come in with a deficit as with any training program is like you want to be smart about it like don't just come in and expect to hike with 50 pounds on your back that's an easy way to get hurt um, there were definitely times I gritted through the few hundred miles, but that's that's the long-winded backstory of how Trail Name the Prodigy came about. And it was after mile 346, I actually wrote that down 
in the first trail book, uh, trail log on the trail, there's a, sometimes there's a log book on the trail you can write in and I signed it as the prodigy and it felt right. Yeah. For those of you who don't know or aren't familiar with the log book, it's basically a book where once you cross that place, you put your name, a date, uh, maybe a message, you know, just leave some words of encouragement or something. So it's kind of a way for people on the trail to communicate and get a sense of community. So the 30 mile man, AKA prodigy, AKA Tyler, you out here, bro. Yeah. And it, it feels weird still sometimes when I do run into another hiker and they'll say my name and cause some people bring up like, well, you're no longer a prodigy, right? I'm like, yeah, you're kind of right. Maybe I should just go back to saying my normal name. <laughs> <laughs> your humility is on max, bro. No, dude, Prodigy, own it. Because I like your swag online, your personality, the memes you post. Like, you got an energy to you, and I think it's not always what people expect. I've been pleasantly surprised throughout this discussion, so I think you should rock with it, man, because you got jokes, that's for sure. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I to touch on that briefly uh the memes have really only been a recent thing I, I didn't know you could make your own memes to be honest until like six months ago <laughs> so it was a way for me to express myself as a, a very different type of art form um, i know i've heard comedians stand-up comedians say the meme is like the the lowest level of comedy but for me it's an it's an easy way to express myself but also to make people smile like in the end i think a lot of us need to smile more and, and myself included so sometimes we kind of forget about it so for me it, it, it's fun and um, i ho hopefully people enjoy it and i'm glad you enjoy it so thank you absolutely man i'd love for you to share your thoughts about men of color or people of color and trail culture yeah. Do you see growing numbers of us out on the trail? Because you've had to come against some adversity. I'd like for you to share your experience, how you've grown, how you've learned to manage maybe the existing culture and how you're representing a pivot in the culture. I was waiting for this question. <laughs> Good, because I just thought um, of it. I didn't, I didn't know I'd be asking, well, you know what? We should get more black people outdoors, but tell us how to do it, please. Yeah, no. And uh, I'm going to speak more in general senses. Uh, but at the same time, I think a lot of us can relate to it as a uh, Asian American, Chinese American. And as I've mentioned, I work in the outdoors. A lot of the places I'd work were very rural. I would be the only person that looked different when I got to my job. And I say seasonal work because I usually bounced around all over the country doing trail work. So I would never be in a place longer than like eight months usually sometimes it'd be like a three-month contract and a six-month contract and a three-month contract and but again a lot of these places and going back to what what we talked about earlier is like when you grow up trail work or conservation work working the outdoors it's not on your radar as like a career right those are jobs you didn't even know like needed to get done it seems so obvious but yeah that and being a butt massage therapist they're things you just don't think about as a kid no, I'm going to think about that one after this show, but uh, I'll just pull that up on my phone real quick. Um, it's not your typical path, and uh, I, I kind of just stumbled upon it, to be honest, realized I loved it, and I was good at it, and it, it combined a lot of things I love, being outside, working with my hands, doing hard work, pretty much getting to eat whatever I want when I'm out there because I know I'll burn it off. Right. So those experiences uh, taught me a lot. 
again, 99.9% of the people I worked with and the areas I was in, nice, very nice people, very interesting stories. Uh, they, again, most genuine people I've ever met. Like I, I went to the South, actually. I, I lived in South Carolina in 2011. I had my reservations when they sent me that contract. <laughs> I was like, uh, I know nothing about South Carolina. I know already not to assume i kind of know i'm not, i'm gonna look different <laughs> than everybody else when i get there and i got there and it was just a very welcoming community and i learned to love sweet tea still do but it also was a good reminder for me to again put the practice that i want to say i'm doing at the forefront of what i'm actually doing so like mm -hmm. if i want to be open-minded i have to not assume anything about these people because that's going to start off on the wrong foot. I was just open about learning about that area, about the culture, about what I was there for and how that was benefiting that area. And through it all, I love everywhere I've worked pretty much. Some places I'm a little less so, but yeah, you kind of forget that these people are people as well. Their experiences are different, but in order to grow, you have to understand their background. And that transitions to through hiking and long distance hiking and backpacking culture, there aren't a lot of black, brown, yellow folks out there doing what you would consider quote through hike. So depending on who you asked, a through hike would be anything over like a few hundred miles. Okay. And I, I know you've talked to a few others, uh, including Black Alaskan. Like it's a very white dominated space. The, the entire outdoor industry was founded upon it because it was the people that had the resources and had this time to do this stuff. So how do we change the narrative on that and also develop a community within ourselves, but, but get the larger community to accept that there's a lot of things we can work on. Hmm. That's, that's the big question for me. Um, so when I hiked in 2018, I did what's called calendar year triple crown, which is the Pacific crest trail the Continental Divide Trail, and the Appalachian Trail, I tried to do it in under a year. And up to that point, only five people had ever done it in the world. More people have been to the moon than have done that. And overall, just to give everyone and myself a scope, I'm, you're talking over five, 6,000 miles, right? Over 7,000, close Jeez. to eight, depending on who you ask. Um, yeah, so <laughs> one, one through hike is hard enough. Try stacking them on each other um and dealing with all the elements as you're out there and and the experiences that you get my goal going in um yes there was a part of me that wanted to know if i could do it because again through hiking in a lot of senses is kind of selfish it's you know you're out there because you want to be out there and experiencing uh living outside for six months at a time per se but for me even in 2016 I decided that my hikes weren't just going to be about me and my experience. I did a fundraiser in 2016 to raise money for tour organizations in Montana. Um, I was living and working in Montana for four years, and uh, they were organizations that help promote diversity and opportunities for growth in youth. Yeah. Um, one of them was it's called Guts, Girls Using Their Strengths. So they take uh, girls, I believe, ages 6 to 13 on backpacking trips, and they develop leadership skills and a community and just self-confidence, which I think is amazing. Like I wish I had something like that growing up. Right. Um, and then the other one was, uh, it's now called Empower Montana, but they do diversity and inclusion workshops in Montana, 
where if you've never been there, um, there's a lot of, how would you say, interesting relationships between First Nations and indigenous cultures and the state. So I actually sat in on one of those workshops where it was mostly First Nations people and uh, folks from the Blackfoot tribe. One of the biggest reservations in the world actually is very close to where I live. And listening to their stories about how they were treated growing up just made me realize, like, whoa, I've had similar experiences, not to the degree that they have. Obviously, that culture has been destroyed in a lot of ways because of the way this country has treated that culture. But I connected in such a deeper level than I thought I would. I, I went in because my friend was helping with the workshop. Right. I wanted to learn. I came out blown away by how much I got out of it. Oh. And that was the first time I actually considered myself as a person of color, per se. Really? I'd never really thought about it that way. I just thought of myself, oh, I'm Asian. You know, I would get the occasional jokes that, oh, I'm yellow. But like, I never thought about it as like, from a sense, like, I'm just using example, you as an African American, you know, has a very different experience than me. But there's a connectivity there as well of being through the history of discrimination in this country. Like, I never really fully took it on and understood like, whoa, wait a second. Yeah, that is something that I've experienced. Wow, what a moment. I decided I wanted to raise money for those two organizations after that. And what better way than hiking across the country? So I, my goal was to raise a dollar for every mile I hiked. So I ended up raising $2,600 and I donated it to those organizations afterwards. And actually went in and like handed my friend a fake check you know, like, at, you know, the big checks that you write out. And uh, I transfer the funds electronically. But yeah, in, in the calendar year Triple Crown, I wanted to utilize that because after that hike, I, I realized much more how, and, and I say, you know, the word diversity doesn't just mean people of color. Mm -hmm. It means everything. It means gender. It means gender identity. It means people with disabilities or who you identify as or religion, all these things, all these backgrounds, it's not just ethnicity. So my goal was to increase that awareness that as an outdoor culture and industry, we need to be more welcoming. Uh, most of the people I met on trail, amazing, great, open-minded. Yeah. But it's still a certain group of people, unfortunately, because to be able to take six months off is a privilege. Yeah. To be able to afford the gear is a privilege. Like we don't think about it when we're doing it because it's something we love. But I mean, a backpacking backpack, you know, a, a good one. I say that with air quotes again, in this day and age, like you're looking at least $200. That's food on someone's table for a week or two, depending on where you are. But it's like, that could be rent. Like what job is going to welcome you back after being away for six months unless, you know, you own your own business or if you're really good relationship. But like people that are working nine to five, they can't take time off. I wanted to kind of bring that to light that in the through hiking community, again, it's a very open minded and progressive community. But I wanted to use that as a subset of the whole outdoor community. Like we need to do a better job. And I never had an Asian American role model growing up. Like people I looked up to were like Michael Jordan and like athletes pretty yeah. much. I can't really think of like other than Bruce Lee and Jackie Chan, like that, that's usually what you get. Two amazing martial artists and actors, 
um, rest in peace, Bruce. But like, I didn't have that growing up. I didn't think that I was going to put my face out there as someone to be a role model, but I knew a different face had to be put out there because every ad I looked at didn't include someone that looked like me or someone that looked different than the norm of what we consider outdoor recreation. So yeah, my goal is to raise a dollar for every mile I hiked again. So I called the campaign 8,000 miles to 8,000 smiles. And I wanted all those funds to go to organizations that work with diversifying the outdoors, organizations that provide opportunities for underprivileged youth to get outside. And also some of those funds also to go to my cousin who was recovering from a coma. But most of those funds, I set aside 80% of the funds to go to organizations. For example, like Outdoor Afro is one I donated to afterwards. And also to the trail organizations that help manage the trails. Because going back to my background is it's like, you don't appreciate where these trails come from and why they're there until you realize that it takes an army of volunteers to get it done. Wow. The, the idea that you were willing and are willing to be that face, to be that role model aligns so much with this platform. It's, it's difficult to become things that you can't see. And there are few individuals out there, you being one of them, who are able to push beyond that. And I have to imagine it's because you see a great benefit in being in the outdoors. And I'd love to get your perspective on why people of color do need to engage in the outdoors. Like, what is the benefit especially when it comes to men of color, like what do we get from being outdoors, even if we don't do a full through hike that is going to add to our lives? It's super important. Uh, Briefly to touch on the topic of me putting my face out there. I didn't initially, I didn't want to put my face out there. I like being behind the camera, not in front of the camera. And it took until my final trail, which was the Appalachian Trail. I did the Pacific Crest Trail and Continental Divide Trail first. It wasn't until I got the Appalachian Trail and I realized I wasn't getting donations because I was talking about diversity, but I was showing pictures of other people that weren't part of the group that I'm trying to reach. And I finally started putting my face on posts and writing about my experience, realizing I should have done it earlier, but it was just a more deep connection I was having because I was miserable on the Appalachian Trail because it was the wettest year on record. It was cold. I was hurt. I was hungry. I'd already already had 6,000 miles under my belt. And it wasn't until then that I started getting more traffic. I started getting a little more attention. I still didn't get like the press that people thought I would have got. But uh, I should clarify, I wasn't financially sponsored in any way, shape, or form. All the money I used on that trail was my own that I'd saved up over years of doing seasonal work. So when people say, I need to check myself, like I did. I did. I utilized my own resources, which I spent every penny I had pretty much. So when I got back, I had nothing really um, as far as my bank account goes. And if we could put a pin in that right there, because that's a that's a huge thing. Sometimes we see people do these feats or whether I mean, let's talk about fucking climbing Everest. I don't think the the people that you see represented going on these adventures through hiking, climbing Everest oftentimes have funding, but when it comes to people of color, a lot of times it's it's a situation similar to yours where it's straight out of pocket. And I feel like culturally or socially, there's no accounting for that because we're so familiar with people having the funds and the means or being able to take off, you know, 
six months from their job. Like that's a really big deal, bro. That's commitment to put your money where your feet and where the trail is like, dude, wow. Yeah. Thank you. No, I, it, it was, again, I, I don't like talking about myself. I don't know if I've been pretty clear about that already, but <laughs> it's, it's one of those things though, that it bugged the hell out of me when I would ask for support and I would get the emails back saying, Oh, that sounds like a great cause, but we can't support you at this time. And then you see, I won't name drop any companies. You see them go support someone else. And it's like, wait, why? Someone else that isn't necessarily a person of color. That's, that's yeah, what we're yeah. here. I'm just trying to be respectful of certain companies. But pretty much like building on that as, as men of color, as people of color, that's why we need to get our faces out there more to show like, hey, no, we're out here too. We're doing the same freaking thing. So why are you supporting this other subset? that's kind of been ingrained and this is nothing against those athletes or those people, but it's the entire culture around it. Like we need to be the change as we've heard before. Like we need to be the ones putting our foot in, but sure we need to put our face out, but it's these companies and corporations and the entire industry and the culture behind it. That needs to change too. Everybody needs to take a step back and kind of do the same thing that we've talked about earlier is put yourself in my shoes put yourself in in Jerry's shoes, put yourself in the black lashing shoes. Like where are they coming from, from this? Why are they saying things they're just saying, or why are they doing the things they're doing? There shouldn't be a difference, but there is. That's the hard part. How do we change that? How do we change this image? And my thinking was I had to put a different face out there. And unfortunately it had to be my own, but like I still struggle with it daily. Um, I still don't like putting my face out there for this larger effort, but I realize it has to take one person to start in order for the movement to grow. We can't do it on our own. That's the other thing. Like, It's not going to be changed by one or two people doing a triple crown or one or two people climbing Everest. Like, It's going to take us bigger movement, and hopefully something happens where the resources start coming into play and exist for this culture to develop and thrive but right now it's it's an uphill battle i hate to say it's always going to be an uphill battle but i think the more and more people that start becoming aware that it's not okay that's when the bricks start crumbling as far as what we're trying to break down and rebuild we talk about equality a lot how is it equal if people are getting treated differently even in the outdoors if the outdoors is so welcoming why is it that certain people can't go out it's the same. It doesn't have to be. And I, I used backpacking earlier with the gear. I mean, you look at any sort of outdoor recreational activity, rock climbing, rock climbing shoes are $200. Like you look at mountain biking, mountain bikes, at least $1,200. Kayaking, $800 kayak or skiing. How much is a pass? Well, if you get a season pass early, if you're lucky, maybe $1,000. If you go daily, $100 a day. My biggest pet peeve is when someone says the outdoors is for everybody that's not true mm. not when we've put all these things in place to prevent groups from not being able to access the outdoors yeah for sure and i think if these companies and decision makers realized how much actual because a lot of times it comes down to a numbers game well you know people of color they don't buy this they don't buy that well if you don't see yourself doing it you don't think it's for you but People of color spend hella money. Like it's a huge opportunity to 
introduce diversity and create a legacy of promoting change. It's the, I mean, and there's, there's so much that goes beyond that, but bro, everything you said is, is completely right on. But yo, if you're one of these companies listening, we will buy this shit. It's just like, I need to see Black Lashin or I need to see Prodigy on the fucking flyer. Like, is that simple? Then I know it's cool. Yeah, there hasn't been a sense of urgency. We've become lackadaisical to it as a society, as a whole. And the people that have been fighting the good fight, for example, like Teresa Baker and her Diversify the Outdoors movement. Like, she's just one woman that started it in the Bay Area. And obviously, there was a very big incident <laughs> within the industry of an organization trying to take over that movement and calling it their own. But I'm glad people stepped up and said, hey, that's not okay. She's been doing it by herself. So I do see positivity and change happening, but it's not going to be exponential. This is kind of a brick by brick movement right now. So until more and more people and I should say allies come on board, there's going to be voices that aren't heard. For sure. And sometimes this is just another arena that we're seeing problems that we see in other areas. But before we round out, I definitely want to hear from you. What do you think people of color and again, I'll make it specific, men of color have to gain from the outdoors. In my experience, and even what you've shared, there have been so many opportunities of learning, of being open, of this living classroom. Do you think there's a benefit for us to even want to be on the trails? What's out there for us? Why make such a big deal about getting access? I think as people of color, I think it's really important to reconnect with things we've kind of lost track of as well. Because a lot of our histories... Mm and family backgrounds come from environments where we are very connected to the outdoors. You know, myself, you know, my parents growing up with jungle environments. Uh, I don't want to speak on behalf of all African-Americans in any way, shape or form, but I just think of like your culture and history coming from Africa and how that's come into play and how that that's shaped so many things in the United States. Even like even looking back on food and where our food really comes from, from the land over there. I think it's really important that we reconnect with our roots, but also reconnect with ourselves. I think nature has this healing property that really humbles us. We forget in this day and age with technology what that's really like. Because for me, it's really easy. I could just swipe on my phone and someone's going to bring me food. Influencers or whoever you want to say on Instagram, they all they have to do is post one photo and automatically someone's paying them. And I, I feel like this this instant gratification society that we live in has kind of changed our mindset of what it is to be alive because we're so used to comparing. Whereas when you're out there or outside, you're in the moment, you're in the surroundings and nothing should worry you as much as it does in like normal society or your normal life. I think it's a good reset, I think is what I'm getting at. It's like, it's a good reset for all of us. And for me personally, I, I get humbled every time I'm out there. So I take that and I bring it back with me. That's real, bro. And I appreciate you taking your time to share that because it's a really big deal, especially if you haven't been privileged to grow up in it. My parents were able to afford to send me to overnight camp. So I got exposure to this stuff. But as I listen and hear these stories from men who really rep in the outdoors, like yourself, uh, CJ Golding, Jose, Aaron with Midwest Color Camp, we mentioned Black Alashian, we got... Who else? Corey J. I'm just listing everybody I can think of right now. Uh, my boy Corey out here in Fort Worth. 
they all talk about this sense of healing, about reconnecting, about getting in tune with themselves, and then bringing this back to their quote unquote normal life and being better off for it. And I think we can't overstate that enough because it's it's real. Otherwise, I wouldn't be able to talk to seven different men of color and get that impression. Like that's the verdict. Like outdoors is good for you. Yeah. And again, we all get something different from it. But the more we do it and the more we can show other people within our communities that it's okay, the more the positive change will happen. Bet that. I like that, man. And I also love that as a note to round out this amazing conversation on, bro. Dude, this has been fantastic sitting here chatting with you, learning about your story, getting in depth with the prodigy. As we head out, bro, I'd love to hear what upcoming trips and challenges you have and uh, where we can find you online. Do you have a website? What's your IG? Shout out all the good shit, bro. Yeah, uh, my pretty much everything is on my IG. Uh, that's at Hiking Prodigy. Uh, so hiking and then P-R-O-D-I-G-Y. I do have a website that's been under construction for two years, but maybe, maybe now's the time I should actually get it up. Just some digital trail work, y'all. It's coming yeah. back. It's coming back. Uh, yeah, that and the YouTube channel I, I get. I've had some clamoring for me to post videos, so I'll be working on that, and it'll be Hiking Prodigy as well. Uh, as far as trips are concerned, we're, we're all in a holding pattern. I know a lot of people have had to cancel and postpone their hikes, so out of respect to the trails and the organizations that run the trails, I've chosen to postpone some of mine. But yeah, my, my goal is just to stay healthy, stay safe, stay sane, as I hope for everybody else. And if an opportunity presents itself, I will let you know. Bet, appreciate that. And I will definitely keep that in mind as maybe not the best question to end sessions <laughs> on as we go forward. But hopefully things are going to maintain. And listen, bro, adventure is a state of mind. Who knows? You might be trying to read all the Tolkien books in two days, just like you beasted out this triple crown. I don't know what you consider adventure. Maybe you're building a backyard pond for ducks. You got skills, man. You're right. Yeah, I should clarify that. Is my outdoor adventures are on hold, but my personal journey in life is still happening. Ooh, that's that prodigy energy right there. I love it, man. Well, dude, thank you for spending the time sharing all of your experience and journey with us. I've gotten a ton out of it, and I can't get enough of men of color out here repping and just being visible and having something to say like we all benefit from it so thanks again man yeah thank you for having me and uh hope people enjoy listening i think they'll love it man all right man take care out there and i hope to have you back on the platform soon sweet cheers ciao there you have it ladies and gentlemen just a few words from the prodigy aka tyler lau sharing his conviction sharing his passion this is a real life trailblazer i could not imagine hiking eight thousand miles in a year are you kidding me keeping a pace of 30 miles a day like forget about it thank you so much bro for taking up space for literally being a trailblazer and paving the way and an example for all these people that you influence man i love your energy love your positivity appreciated the vibe and i hope you come back on the platform soon Ladies and gentlemen, this has been another awesome presentation from us. And if you've been familiar with the platform and thought the audio quality dipped a little bit, listen, you're not losing your mind. It absolutely did. 
Komodo Jack thought he was talking into his microphone when in fact the microphone wasn't connected and he was just yelling into his computer speakers and didn't realize it until it came time to edit. So my sincerest thanks and gratitude for your patience and I will make sure that never happens again. All that being said, as I mentioned in the intro, if you'd like to do a happy hour, maybe engage with some of our guests, maybe we can put something together. But, you know, we kind of need community in times like this. So reach out. Do not be shy. Hit me up at Point Noir Show on Instagram and Twitter or just send me an email if that works better for you. Hope you all take care. Hope your families are safe. Hope you're really practicing and expressing gratitude in these days if you get an opportunity just to listen to the show to steal away these moments to be entertained to be inspired that's a gift and we can't take that for granted so see you all on our next session this is jerry the third aka kimono jack signing off